Pod Doctors is brought to you by the Kindle book, Saving Limbs, Saving Lives, Advanced Treatments to Prevent Amputations in Diabetic Populations. This book by Dr. Damien Dauphiné discusses specific patient cases in diabetic limb preservation, which highlight the modern use of wound care technology that has exploded in the last 20 years. With only one advanced therapy available in 1999, there are now hundreds of options to help close chronic wounds in diabetic patients. Dr. Dauphiné distills these options down to show patients and physicians treating these patients how combinations of these products can be used to save limbs and save lives. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, board-certified foot and ankle surgeon, and my partner, Dr. Rafa Hussein, fellowship-trained podiatric surgeon, and we are The Pod Doctors. Each week, The Pod Doctors will be discussing aspects of podiatric medicine and surgery to educate our audience on common foot and ankle problems and the latest treatment options available. We hope to bring you interesting and informative shows each week discussing all the crazy ways that our wonderful foot can malfunction and cause us problems. So please find us on all the platforms where you find your typical podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and YouTube where you can view our videos. So please like and subscribe, and we will see you next time on The Pod Doctors. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, and I'm here with my partner, Dr. Rafi Hussein. And today we are going to talk about total ankle replacement, uh, which is a pretty popular option for end-stage ankle arthritis. Patients that we probably would have fused a while back are now opting for the newer versions of these total ankle uh, joints that um, we've been, I think, seeing more patients that are requiring that or, or requesting that option over yeah. over fusion for lots of lots of different reasons but primarily because they get range of motion so just a generic overview we've talked about the ankle before and if you haven't watched any of our older videos the ankle is made up of three bones all right you have your tibia which is the largest of the bones your fibula which is the side small thin bone and then your talus the talus is a small bone on the inside of the ankle which sits there to you know act as that mortise uh, to glide through that ankle. The wear and tear on the ankle, uh, luckily enough, the joint itself is very strong, very um, resilient. It can take a lot of wear and tear. I mean, just some generic fun facts on that joint itself. The ankle joint sustains more load per surface area than any other joint in the body. I mean, think about that. I mean, you're walking, running, jumping on these uh, on joints here and your knees and hips go out. And that's why we don't see a lot of ankle problems aside from like rolled ankles and stuff like that, sprains and whatnot. Um, ankle arthritis is not that common. But just with your acts of daily living, pretty much when walking, we expect three to five times your body weight to go on that ankle joint with a force. And then um, with running, jumping, exercise, sports, etc., you can see 13 to 15 times your body weight with these type of activities. I mean, pretty resilient joint. What do we see? Patient comes in, ankle pain, they're getting some clicking, some some aches and pains, just swelling throughout the day, um, crepitation on motion, that's that feels like I got sand in my joint type of uh, feel. We see swelling, we see you know that crunchy sensation, we do our range of motion exams. Sometimes you'll even feel like a hard stop. I mean, it's like locked up, it's limited, 
and um, ankle impingement syndrome. Yeah, mm-hmm. anterior impingement, posterior impingement. Sometimes they'll even have like a deformity, like some angulation deformity, just depending on how much wear and tear has been going on in that ankle. And most of these folks who show up with x-rays that look like this, I've had some pretty significant injuries in their, in their history. Yeah. yeah. The, the last lady we just did, um, I guess second last, she had a motor vehicle accident. The one before that, I think it was a motorcycle accident. I mean, a lot of accident-based injuries, right. traumatic injuries. So, you know, normal ankle joint, nice and clean. You can see the mortises on all sides of the joint. And when you have arthritis like this, you're literally bone on bone, you know, cartilage is completely gone it could be angulated it could pretty much you know uh, start drifting in to one side of the tibia typically the tibia starts collapsing and uh, you'll start getting that angulation of that foot and then obviously they can lead to foot problems and you know we talk about our treatment options as far as that goes so conservatively we spoke about this before ankle pains what can we do bracing sleeves lace-up ankle braces strapping shoe gear modification uh, there's a lot of options out there, but these are all pretty much bandaging the problem when you have an ankle that looks like what we just kind of looked at before. Yeah, the, these are going to be more helpful for folks who've got an acute injury that we're trying to rehab. But yeah, once the once the joint is completely shot, then either they either have pain or they don't. And if they don't have pain, they may not have enough motion to even have pain. Yeah. So the joint's locked up enough that they're not having problems. And we see those folks from time to time. Literally this morning, I had a guy, uh, exact same situation. He had an ankle fusion on the opposite side. His uh, good side is mm. super flat-footed. I mean, completely toe-turned out. But he's so stiff that you can't move that foot. I mean, it's pretty much fused in, in itself. So he's not having a lot of pain. No, no pain. Yeah. It doesn't bother him at all. Yeah. So that that that's a unique situation. Yeah. But um, that would but that not takes, require surgery. <laughs> that, that takes years, years of yes. pain, right. tolerating pain, to leading get, up to that component. To get through that, yeah. yeah. Conservatively, other options, you know, we can do steroid shots, physical therapy, all the topical gels and creams and stuff. But these are, like I said, these are just bandaging the problem. They don't actually fix the actual problem. So we kind of dive into our surgical options. So surgically, you know, if the ankle joint isn't that far off or far, you know, you want to get a couple years on with the ankle we can scope it out clean it out as best as we can there's no promises with these type of procedures because there's a lot of bony components to this you know we can try to drill out any osteochondral defects you know backfill anything we can but um, sometimes we opt to do the fusion so fusion used to be the gold standard i'm an, i'm a plate guy i know some people like to use rods and screws and stuff i just put this picture in there but would go in Pretty much you can do it arthroscopically or small incision open and you pretty much open that up, clean it out, get all the articular surface off of it, that cartilage, all the um, synovial fluid, all, uh, synovial fluid, excuse me, uh, synovial tissue and uh, pretty much get that bone on bone contact but in great alignment and then we fuse it together. I know you're a screw guy, right? You're a crossing screw guy? Uh, use it all. I mean, X-fix, X-fix internal fixation. Yes. Yep. You know, it depends on the patient, their body habitus. I mean, if you got a 350-pound diabetic patient who's neuropathic, yeah, I'd, I'm going to put them in a frame. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I think most folks who have the option today are requesting total ankle replacement over fusion for obvious reasons. Fusion means there's no motion left. And and the downside is you're going to accelerate arthritis in the surrounding joints. Yeah. yeah. So the subtalar joint gets beat up faster. 
uh, tarsal joints get beat up faster. So there, it's not without some repercussions. Knees and hips. I mean, it yeah. all, it, everything has to make up that loss of joint mobility. So when we start talking about ankle joints, we start talking about, you know, the recovery process and all that. But let's talk about some older joints before we dive into some newer joints. Yeah, here. these were... These were problematic to say the least. Thankfully, before my time. <laughs> so the old concept on ankle joint replacements, and, and generally speaking, ankle replacements are super new as far as joint replacements go. Uh, I think the oldest ones they're talking about from like the 60s and 70s. And I mean, that's fairly new as far as joint replacements go. It was based on the concept of you want that round articular motion, that ball and socket joint. So the uh, there was a couple of cases where they would use a hip implant and they'd put that stem up the tibia and they'd, they'd do that weird angle thing into the uh, the talus and that would be the new ankle joint. It would be like doing like a reverse shoulder replacement. That's a lot of hardware, a lot of work. I actually had a patient out and I was searching for so long. I had a patient who had that. I, I, I looked through all my pictures and stuff that I can kind of figure out who it was. But when I find it, if you guys follow me on, on TikTok, I'll put it there. My, my TikTok name is The Podfather. But if I find it, I'll post it there. I, I know I had one. I just got to find it. But they, they worked well for a short time. And then a couple of years down the road, it, it would get bad and it would subside. It would slip. You'd start getting arthritis in the joints. They didn't work out well. One, for the fact that you don't want to do a ball and socket joint in the ankle. And two, what they would do is they would have a metallic implant on one side, which um, wouldn't sit well. You'd have to cement it in. And then you would have a uh, plastic, um, high-density poly, whatever, uh, plastic in there. And that wouldn't work well because that wouldn't stick to bone either. And they'd cement that side in. And uh, both sides would fail. And they'd be back at square one. Not, not It's, it's not a, the easiest joint to replicate. Yeah. The, the motion difficult. of the ankle joint is not, it's not a ginglemous joint like the knee. It's, it's, a, a, it's a joint motion that is triplanar and is difficult to replicate. So part of the reason why some of these failed. Yeah. And you can see in that middle picture, the subsidence where that thing is now completely in, in uh, valgus. Yeah. And that's a mess. So as progression went on, they started using both sides with metallic with a poly insert on the inside. And they got better. A real popular one, which is still around right now, was the star. The star toll ankle was pretty much like top of its class for, I don't know, the better part of the early 2000s and um, still is around today, um, starting to phase out of popularity. But the unique thing about the star, and um, there was another one like it that wasn't FDA approved in the US, it was uh, something BP, some, I don't know, Spanish or French word, I forgot what it was, but um, they would uh, have a mobile bearing. So you would have the typical component on the top side and then the tailor component on the bottom side, the tailor component where it would articulate with the poly would be in a smooth pathway, a guided pathway. But the tibial component would be flat, so it can actually pivot and twist. And um, they worked out well for quite some time. But then when we got to our 15, 20, 25 year studies, the uh, side effects, the subsidence, the uh, loosening of the joint implants, they, they started showing up more and more and more. So they kind of started falling back to your classic construct for told joints where it's locked in, in a controlled fashion, a non, uh, what's it called? Non- uh, Constrained. Constrained um, 
joint implant. So uh, another one that came out around the same time as the star was the Hintegra, which is also still around today. And it started showing that the long-term effects of the Hintegra was actually a little bit better than the stars. So a lot of implants started going in that favor. Um, there was another one here that I put in just because you know, most total ankles, we'd go from the front, we'd go in, split it up in the front, clean up the joint, and you'd, you know, impact those uh, devices in there. But there was a company that uh, Zimmer, I guess, acquired or whatever, they made their own implant. I don't know how that works, but they would come from the fibular side. So you'd go in from the side, you'd cut the fibula, you'd, you know, flop it back, and then you'd tap your implant in that way, which was a unique twist on doing the toe ankles, but they had a lot more complications than they uh, they had success. So that kind of quickly fell out of favor. But yeah, my early training was all on the star. I mean, I pretty much did stars. I did like one or two Hintegras, but vast majority of my stuff was star. And, I, and it worked really, really well. Patients loved it. We were using the, uh, yeah, the Salto Tolaris. Salto Tolaris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the newer ones. So the newer ones, um, the InBone actually is actually an older one. They just keep on revamping it and making it better and better. I want to say this is like their fourth or fifth iteration of it. The Infinity, this is the one that we use the most, I know. It works out really, really well. The Vantage Total Ankle and the Cadence Total Ankle, really, really good. Uh, I think the Cadence uh, is made by Dr. Easley. Uh, don't quote me on that. Uh, one of the two are made by Dr. Easley. He's the, the guy who wrote Foot and Ankle Reconstruction. Uh, really, really good. Um, pretty much based on the same style, but they all have a solid tibia and tailored component, metallic, and a locked-in poly um, that glides along those surfaces. They work out really, really well. The only difference between all of these and the inbone is that the inbone, you actually have to put the stem in, so we can't tap it in from the front of the ankle. We actually have to come in from the bottom, uh, which is a uh, additional step. And you have to build it up. You have to build it up piece by is, piece, yeah, piece like by Legos. Piece. Yeah, they're... They're really kind of fun to, to, to do. So as far as the surgery for these went, and these are still today, so currently the standard of, of surgical technique or whatever you want to call it, is uh, you do a long incision in the front and then you put these pins and wires all the way up from your front of the ankle and then you have one or two on the front of the, the knee uh, right across that little tibial tuberosity that you have approximately. And the alignment and the angulation and everything that you do you'd have to do intra-op which you know it's based on users at that point and still is right so we adjust the frontal plane alignment we'd get the sagittal plane alignment we'd get the transverse plane alignment and then you'd go back over and over and that's a good 30 to 45 minutes of just aligning everything to make sure it's right and you get multiple x-rays you know a lot of radiation etc and now the newer version that um, Bright Medical slash Stryker has come out with, and this is the one that we use the most. They use a 3D printed poly plastic whatever component that sits flush with the patient's front of the tibia and talus. I mean, how easy has, have these become? I mean, the, yeah, I, I mean, as far as the the jig systems are concerned, you know, there's a big fiddle factor with most of them. And, you know, I've used several and you align that well, and you, then you're going to put in your, your implant well, but just getting the alignment right with these jig systems can take an inordinate amount of time. And how, and it's very user-dependent, right? I yeah, mean, I, I would totally agree. Where 
where we would, you know, kind of like, oh, you know, it needs to go up or back or front, you know, like a little bit more valgus, a little bit more varus, you know, and obviously the joint doesn't look like what they show in this picture here. This is a nice, healthy, clean joint. Right. The joint is collapsed. It's <clears throat> significantly right. uh, dystrophic. So you're, you're looking at a pretty much uh, a joint that looks like it's been beat with a hammer, and then you're trying to align it to that joint surface, which is uh, difficult in itself. So they the, make... The, the, I think the 3D printed option for these templates has really made a huge difference in, in that those templates literally fit the anatomy based on that three-dimensional CT. So 3D printing these and making them individualized for every patient... I think has made a huge difference huge. and allows us to put our pins in where they need to go based on the patient's anatomy, own individual anatomy. So instead of press fitting everything and sort of pigeonholing every patient into a, you know, a small subset of equipment, now you've got equipment that's built just for that patient to help you align their joint with their anatomy. And I think it's made a huge difference. Yeah. Aside from that, you're putting less holes into the tibia where there's been a couple of papers where, you know, you put these holes in K-wires and styman pins and things in and, and you're like, all right, that's the least of their problems, right? But what ends up yeah. happening is you that joint, that joint capsule, you're moving that fluid all around there and you end up washing out those joints. There's been a couple of papers where they show long-term studies, CT scans, where you expect those joints, those little pinholes to fill in, but you're actually technically washing out those joints every time they move that ankle. And they never end up filling in. And you can actually er erode part of those holes larger and larger. So maybe contributing to subsidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. 100%. So, I mean, these work out well. Uh, like I said, they cut down on x-rays, less radiation. They cut down on tourniquet time. I mean, they cut down any user error that might go into this. A big factor uh, of surgery and use of which ankle I'm gonna use is based on, honestly, this. And I expect a lot of companies will probably start doing this. It's just um, it's like a no-brainer type of surgery. Recovery. So recovery is pretty straightforward. Um, typically, we'll have non-weight bearing for about two to four weeks. Typically, around that three to four week mark, we'll have them start putting weight on that boot. They you know, try using crutches or a walker, tripod gate. The incisions are long, um, but you know, uh, they heal up very, very well. Um, and we've incorporated some some tricks from time to time with the incisional vacs. Yeah, little Picovacs. Uh, Picovacs. Um, I think uh, several authors have suggested using things like umbilical cord underneath the incision yeah. line. Yeah, yeah which unfortunately is not available at every facility. But, you know, I think we've had very few problems with incisional dehiscence with these patients because we're taking good care of the soft tissues. We're not tugging and pulling and beating up the incision line. Yeah. Uh, and I think part of that has to do with the equipment that we're using. We're not having to use these big jigs and poke holes all over the place and yeah, the incisions are far far smaller than that, the ones I would be making for the stars. Yes, um, so totally I, agree, which makes a big difference, yeah. Yeah, I like to use zip line or zip stitch or whatever they're called on the front of them. It looks like zip ties with stereo strips attached to them. They mm -hmm. work out really, really well. The front of the ankle, you have a lot of tendons, so chance of bowing one of the tendons in the front can put tension on the uh, on the incision, so make sure, you know, layered closure and everything that we would do. A lot of people are starting to use these... Um, uh, take ankle braces. Uh, I've read a couple of papers on this, more clinical studies than anything, but they would use the take ankle brace for when they start walking. And the nice thing about the brace is that they can do a locked up, 
a limited motion and a full motion constraint type of um, situation. So you're phasing them to more advanced uh, movement as time goes on. Even yeah, in their own shoes. In their own yeah. shoes. So there's so, no yeah. height difference problems either. Yeah, that's. I think that's a great, a great a big, use for that product. And then a big thing is physical therapy. I mean, with any type of toll joint, you want to do physical therapy, early range of motion as early as possible. And um, I mean, in given time, I bet you a lot of these um, total ankles are going to be weight-bearing, like literally day of, day after surgery, like they do knees and hips and stuff. Yeah, it's, I think the technology has finally caught up with the need, and the need is only getting greater Yeah. with the folks that have had ankle fracture repairs 15, 20 years ago, and now the joint's continue to break down the car accident victims, people who have slip, slip and fall injuries. And as they get older, the joint continues to break down, even if it was fixed correctly. Yeah. Uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, the ankle or the post-traumatic ankle arthrosis can still happen. Yeah. So we're going to see more and more of this as our population continues to age. Well, I mean, that's pretty much it for total ankle replacements. We will do a deep dive on some of our cases. We'll dive a little bit more, uh, aggressively into the surgical technique and what we kind of do, you know, front, back, top, and forth, and whatnot. But um, With, I mean, yeah, see, we can dissect a video. Yeah, yeah, we got. That's the problem. The place we do our total ankles, they don't have the in-light cameras like we do with all yeah. our surgical cases. But we'll figure out a way to get some some good videos going. Uh, it's pretty amazing, and the patients do phenomenally well. I, I had a patient come back. Uh, I think I told you this a couple weeks ago. One of my first total ankles came back, and uh, we did it back. First whole ankles since COVID, excuse me. Yeah. Since, yeah, because COVID kind of locked everything down. And um, so, I mean, she's almost two years out from her total ankle. And um, she came back and I was like, oh, no, something's gone wrong. Something's gone, you know, wonky and whatnot. Came in for toenail fungus. Didn't even come in for her ankle. So, that's that's a beautiful post yeah. right there. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Well, very good. Well, I, I'm looking forward to doing a little deeper dive with... Uh, some of the videos that hopefully we'll be able to make with the help of our, our folks in the OR. And uh, we'll, we'll expand on uh, our discussion of total ankle replacement. Very good. Thanks, Dr. Hussein. And we will see you guys next time on The Pod Doctors. Thank you for listening to The Pod Doctors. We appreciate all of our listeners and subscribers. If you'd like to hear more, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and watch our videos on YouTube. Like, thumbs up, subscribe, be safe. See y'all next time. Bye-bye.